Welcome to the Tone That Made Us podcast. I'm James Taptinos, my co-host, Dan Cav. You know, we do this podcast because we love gear. We love tone. If you could see our collective amp and guitar collections, which at one point were under one roof, it's uh, it, it'll show you how much we love tone. So w- what we really love to get into is the nuts and bolts of the tone that our friends, people we admire, records that we all love, and how those tones were gotten, and the tricks of the trade, and how we learned, and how everybody can maybe try and replicate those tones in the future. And most of all, we do this podcast, as you've heard me say before, because it relieves our wives from having to listen to our bullshit when we all get together, and all Dan and I do (laughs) is talk about guitars. So... Today's guest held down six-string duties for New York hardcore bands such as Straight Ahead, Rest in Pieces, moving on to seminal breakthrough bands like Helmet, as well as Brooklyn's own Biohazard. So we'd like to welcome Queen's own Rob Echevarria. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here, man. Thanks (laughs) Thanks for for coming. So, Rob, we've all heard the story of... The first time I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, you know, it, it changed my world, right? And for maybe guys our age, it was the first time I saw Kiss on the Tom yeah. Snyder show, right? I see you nodding. We all kind of, you know, but so we've all heard the stories about the band that made us kind of want to go, I can do that. But for us, it's like, what's the first instrument? What's the first guitar you saw that made you go, whoa? I have to be playing that. Well, I guess, I mean, I was I was always drawn to a Strat because of Richie Blackmore. So, like, when I saw a Strat on the cover of Deepest Purple, and it's purple and sparking, and, like, you know, the wires are all, like, frying and everything, I thought that was, like, the coolest cover. But I was also a huge Kiss fan. So that was my first exposure to, like, you know, the Les Paul and a DiMarzio Super Distortion. So that's kind of that kind of what started, you know. Oh, okay. So this guy plays something called a super distortion. What the hell's a pickup? You know, I'm like 10 years old. I don't understand any of this stuff. Um, and then I never really got into tone just yet. I mean, that was way too early. So it was just more about like finding a cool guitar. So I bought my very, actually my sisters bought me my very first guitar, which is like a copy, uh, um, a Montaya Stratocaster. Okay. Um, it was an all like wood grain Montaya, like a hundred fifty buck guitar, um, that I felt was like the Richie Blackmore guitar, you know. And then uh, I I took my version of a Frankenstrat and I basically chiseled it out and 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 hammered in a Demarzio pickup. And I still have that guitar today. It's hilarious. But like that was my first. I still have it, but it's in pieces. But I have it. I still have the whole thing butchered out and everything like my own little Frankenstrat before I even knew about a Frankenstrat. Um, And and that was my first attempt of trying to make something sound cool was like stomping that pickup into that. So how how old were you? Probably about 10, maybe 12 tops, you know? So, you know, 10 and 12 years old for you to realize to get that sound, I like to get an ultimate sound. I've got to do something to this. I've got to modify it. That's yeah, pretty you, I mean, even back then, yeah, you're buying like all the, you know, the guitar ads really get you, you know, all the magazines back then, you know, there was really, you know, marketed towards all that kind of stuff. So we just thought it was cool, you know, 
So we would just buy stuff and, you know, bought a big muff because it was supposed to be cool and a rat because it was supposed to be cool. And like, well, you know, we didn't understand what the hell everything was, you know. Um, and then that moved into like flangers and delays and all this stuff like that. And then better guitar. And then it just, you know, how that snowballs into like all this whole new world of things. And nowadays it's just ridiculous. The amount oh, of stuff yeah. that's out there. Yeah. Well, now it's like you don't even have to have the gear. You can have emulators of the gear. All you need is an iPad, right? Yeah, I, I've basically started using all that stuff. The STL tone stuff um, oh, that's really during the COVID times was really good because um, I was mentioning I have a dog who's like afraid of loud music. So I started looking into the plugins and a Mac and all that stuff like that. And, and they sound phenomenal. And it's just amazing how you could, you know, get away with that stuff now and imagine if they had that back then how it would be you know yeah for sure i uh i picked up actually this positive grim spark actually after yeah. dan got one because i said you know what there were so many people that were getting them right because you ordered them way in advance you didn't get right. it for like six months after you ordered it and i said okay here's the deal i've had every emulator type amp i've had all the modeling stuff over the years being in the business i said you know what i'm gonna wait I'm going to wait for these guys to get them. First off, do they sound good? Second of all, I want to talk to them like three or four months after and go like, are you still playing it? Mm. And no shit, all of our friends who had them said, no, nah, man, I love this thing. So I said, all right, I'll get one. And you know, the last recording that we did, which was, of course, during COVID times as well, and I have a full studio downstairs, I cut every track via USB with this thing. Right. I mean, I keep it right here in my office next to me, and it just sounds amazing. That's awesome. So yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to pick one up, and then I remember when they they started taking the pre-orders, and everybody was complaining of how long it took, and I thought it was like a scam, until I saw Steve Vai post a video, and he like turned around, reached down, plugged in, and I was like, "What is that?" And I looked, and it was a positive grid. And I was like, "Wow, I got to get one of those," and I still don't have one, but yeah, um, you know, but it, it sounds really cool. Super yeah. affordable, and what I love is that we swap uh, presets. You know, he'll, right, we, right, right. with any of our friends, I can go, I nailed down the perfect preset for this, or I found the perfect Oasis preset, right? You know, here, you know, and, and it's great because we're, we're big Brit pop fans, so passing along those, those kinds of those kinds of presets, it's a lot yeah, of fun, effect because, saturated, yeah, super yeah, cool. cool. So you said you got your first guitar was that Strat copy. Um, what was your first band? I think it was a, a I want to say like a Stage 65 or something like that. A Stage Amp. I think right, it was, like it was the little something fenders? I had. Yeah. But I think I bought like, I didn't know anything. And I think I bought like a, a 115 inch. So I bought a bass amp, and, you know. And I really didn't know anything about amps. So I had that for a while. I don't even know what happened to it. And then eventually... <laughs> I think when I graduated to a real amp, I, I bought a a little MOSFET Marshall, like those little mini 10-inch four ten. I still I know. I those. wish I still had it. I wish I still had that thing. Those things are fantastic. Was, yeah, yeah. I wish I still had it, but I don't even know where it wound up. But you know, I was more about guitars, like I, I said before. I mean, I really, I don't never really collected amps. So from that stage sixty-five to the Marshall, there's probably stuff that I borrowed in between. Um, <laughs> That, that you know i don't remember anything about but nice so so you you had that guitar that you decided to mod out you had the montoya uh which are phenomenal i love the fact that those existed i had a 
Montoya, Les Paul, uh, briefly. Um, they're like, uh, I think they're fact, Ibanez factory. Uh, same. Yeah, and people love them. They were yeah, Japanese made. And yeah, like Japanese made. They were great, you know? and they were cheap. Yeah. It was cheap. But uh, <laughs> so when you graduated to another guitar from that point, as you got more serious, what did you go to? From I went to a Vantage Flying V because it was KK Downing colors, <laughs> and I couldn't Fantastic. afford it. Actually, before any of all this stuff, I was born left-handed. I was born left-handed, and I remember going to like Sam Goody in like, like Wood. Uh, Sam Goody and Woodside yeah, and they had guitars hanging up and I really had my eyes on like a lefty Ivan as they, they had one of those like the, I don't even know what it is like the artist series or whatever yeah, yeah. um you know like a double um, cut little yeah the double cut away it. real yeah and it was a lefty one but it was like 600 something bucks and I was like that's I can't afford it you know so the way I taught myself to play was basically my my sister had an acoustic guitar underneath the bed and I picked it up and I started teaching myself how to play right-handed. And then I was able to afford a $150 Montaya. Uh, and, and then, you know, I, then I went to like the, the $300 Vantage and then I saved all my money. And the first real guitar I got was my, my 86 SGS 62 reissue was, was my first like real, like legit guitar. Very nice. That's that a, was, that's was a that jump. That's a big jump going from the Vantage to that, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, lies. I lied again. I went to a Focus. I went to a Kramer Focus 3000. Oh, also nice. great guitars. So, I'm so trying when to find you see, one right now. When you see the very uh, first, uh, like, straight ahead videos, I'm playing a Focus 3000. The thing weighs about 40 pounds, but it sounds <laughs> great. It sounds so phenomenal, man. And it's you still and it's have it still, right there? Yeah, still in prime shape. Oh wow! You know, I put That's... a D-tuna on it and the whole thing. Upgraded the Floyd Rose because it came with like the the the, the non-tuner, non-fine yeah. tuner Floyd Rose. Yep. So upgraded that. Um, I used to have a Seymour Duncan custom, but then I started revisiting. Actually, this is still the custom, but uh, I've been a Seymour Duncan fan my whole life until I I started just recently actually getting back into DiMaggio's for certain guitars. But most of the time, I've been nothing but. Um, Seymour Duncan. Yeah. Same. Nice. I, uh, I I stick with uh, Invaders and Custom Customs. Yeah, Custom Customs are great. Uh, I picked up a an Iceman that has like the uh, the SH four, I think that is, which is a screaming pickup, man. It's just you know all their pickups are great. And the funny story with that is, uh, you guys remember the AOL chat rooms, right? Of course. Absolutely. All right. So I, I was in a in a music chat room one time. And somebody was asking about pickups, and I said, oh, you know, I love Seymour Duncan, da 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 Then I get, like, a private message, and it's this guy, Evan Scop. And then I'm like, yeah. And he's like, I heard what you said about it. Next thing you know, I got an endorsement for Seymour Duncan because uh, he was the guy for Seymour Duncan. <laughs> he was the a &R, you know, artist relation <laughs> dude or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, so, like, in Helmet and – Actually, before that, yeah, I had myself a little endorsement because of an AOL chat room, which is kind of funny. Nice. That's amazing. <laughs> that's so amazing. so from the Kramer, you you had mentioned the SG. So that's the SG that you played in Straight Ahead and Rest in Peace. Yeah, so you see the old, like, yeah, that, that SG, which, again, I, I haven't parted with any. There's one guitar I've parted with in my whole life, but every single thing I have right now still. I just, I just can't bring myself to do it. That's, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Because we, I mean, we've bought and sold so many guitars. And I, 
I, I don't think we regret all of them with equality, but right. there are some that we regret massively. You're right. <laughs> so what's the one? So uh, we'll get there later. I'm going to ask the one that got away, but we, we, okay. we got The one I threw across the stage at Roseland. <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, through rest in pieces, you said, so uh, it, the marshal behind you is, is that? That's a, uh, that is a marshal 2210. It's the, the two channel um, reverb. Yeah. JCM 800. And um, that's what you, did you get that around that time? I got that at around, yeah, same time, 87, 86, 87, something like that, I think it is. Um, so, yeah, all that original gear is kicking around still. But um, Where'd you get it? I got it at Sam Ash. Funny enough, I still have the receipts for it, and I found them the other day. It was like the Sam, uh, I had a Sam Ash uh, receipt amazing. for that, and it was like 600 bucks back in the day. Six hundred bucks, man! And I'm like, holy crap! What if six hundred dollars was back then to save up, like you know, making like three thirty-five an hour, and like to save up and put it on layaway or whatever? Oh yeah, <laughs> it took it took forever to get it, but um, yeah. So so that was that, and then I had, and I always joke about you know, I, I look back the pictures of, of playing CVs with like a full stack. I just laugh at myself now because it was a little bit over the top, but but that was like the big thing. Like I gotta get the full stack, and I gotta get that, and and. uh so that that was the gear for those days and it's still it's still around but it's That's uh awesome. you know you, you mentioned the full stack there were there's only two guys that i really remember playing full stacks there even though there were more but the two that stuck out of my head were always you and marco uh and you guys were actually players as opposed to a lot of us that were playing cbs <laughs> wouldn't exactly be called uh the, the best musicians at the time <laughs> so i think it was definitely forgivable uh, but no, it sounded great. You, it, it always stuck in my head that you played full stacks, you and Marco, like I said. Uh, that's funny. That's just something yeah. my head goes to. The yeah. only other one that jumps out to me is Doc No. Yeah. And Doc never, was the only, the only place you could get away with it without anybody giving, really giving yeah. you a hard time to like tune down, you know, turn down or whatever. But so it was kind of cool there. Totally. So, um, so again, not, podcast of course goes in and out of stories about you and the bands that you've played in um but we stick mostly to the gear so one of our favorite questions to ask so at that point you go through uh great bands anybody on this pod or listening to the podcast never heard straight ahead or rest in pieces um with our buddy armand uh please listen to them killer bands so now things evolve you can tell the story be glad to hear of how you join helmet but joining helmet there's a couple of things that i've always wanted to know one is following a guy like pete Menegade, right so so his tone compared to your tone to me they were a little different but i mean really worked well uh, so I'd, I'd like to hear about how you approach that. The other thing I'd love to hear is, okay, now you're in a major label band. You've got a gear budget. Right. What? Wh where does your mind go first? What do you do first? Well, the whole thing, honestly, I've never even like given, my tone was my tone. That's the way, you know, whether it fit in a band or not, I don't know. Um, but I remember I got the call from Paige to come try out. And I took that Marshall head. I took, I believe it was um, 
my BC Rich. And which, I just which went BC Rich? Uh, the ST3, the black ST3. I used to play with pieces. Yep. Um, and I took that to the rehearsal space in Mont Street. And the story, as far as I know, it goes that they heard the free for all compilation that uh, Pieces was on. And they were impressed with that guitar sound. And then Steve Martin, who happened to be a friend of mine, sure. but then also happened to be their publicist, kind of connected us and then let him know that, yeah, well, I was good, you know, good guitar player, whatever, whatever. He's got a good sound. You should check him out, whatever. Right. So I go down there and. So that was dry. You didn't know Paige before that. No, not at all. I mean, I I, I, wow. I studied this stuff. I recorded it. I got a phone call. I was living in Long Island at the time. And I get a phone call to go down to Mott Street in Manhattan. And there I went. And I just took my Marshall in a road case that my brother-in-law built out of like half inch plywood the thing was like 500 pounds <laughs> and it had like a, a and a little handle on it you know it didn't even have like road handles you know so there i am lugging this big ass thing down there and then i plug in and then i'm playing and then we notice something's kind of off because you know with the drop detuning there's like suspended chords and there's a lot of little nuances going on and then Paige looks at me he's like what's going on so i turned the whole guitar down to d I didn't do drop D tuning. Oh, yeah. So I'm playing all of meantime with <laughs> fast changes in bar chords. Oh, wow. You know, like straight ahead style. Right, right. So they didn't, you know, it was, they, they knew it sounded kind of weird, but it was like, all right, let's give this a shot again tomorrow. So I went home, went drop D tuning, learned it all again, came back, and then I got the gig. Yeah. <laughs> and then I got the gig. But um, That's amazing. that was that. And then once we took off on the road, I took my SG. I took uh, the Marshall, everything that I had. I, I brought my own stuff, but then it started getting really beat up to the point where, like, you took the SG out of the case, the pickups dropped in the hole, the neck was out of whack, the tubes were getting busted around on there. So I was like, dudes, man, I can't. This is like my my stuff. I, I can't deal with this. So um, from there, we switched. I switched to uh, Marshall J's. Um, what were they called? The JMP ones. The yeah. solid oh, the state, racks. the rack mounts. Yeah. yeah, I switched to that, and then they had a boogie connection. Yeah. So then my first combo was the Marshall JMP one into a Strategy five hundred uh, amp. Wow. And wow. then that would run into like the Harry Colby cabinets that they had, yeah. which were basically these monster um, four by twelves loaded with I think they were like EV speakers. Yeah, but they were so like they wouldn't move. They were they were so stiff to me. So right. I ripped them out. I mean, they were like two thousand bucks each, really expensive. They got mad at me, but like I ripped them out and put Celestians in it. Nice, because um, I liked the look of the cabinet, but the speakers weren't moving, they weren't breaking up or doing anything. So, yeah. so that was that was my pretty much my whole rig through the whole helmet thing, and along so with like Rocktron effects and stuff like that. When you go Celestian. Are you a, a 25 guy, a 30 guy, or a 75 guy? Wait, I'm losing. What? I lost you there for a minute. Everything no problem. Up a little bit. That's okay. I can edit this. Um, I said, so first off, do you remember what wattage those Colby speakers were? And when you threw Celestians in, are they like 25s, 30s, 75s? I think I threw 75s in there. The, the Colby's were a lot higher than that, I believe. You know, I don't really specifically yeah, the remember the specifics but yeah they were like you know those things were insane they were insanely heavy just like 
big monster things to carry around. They eventually got rid of them too, and we just walked around with like all the boogie stuff, and yeah. and then uh, so we started using that as backgrounds. The uh, yeah, yeah. EV, the if if they were the EVs that they use in mesas, which I I think that's what they were. They were those twelve Ls. They're crazy high. They're like two hundred watts. Uh, yeah, they were probably some power like handling. That. Yeah, yeah. And like, and I, I just, I just, you know, you gotta move, you gotta, you know, have that little speaker pump, you know. But they just weren't, and I'm blasting out of that thing like, you know, coming out like 180 decibels out of the thing, and nothing's moving. Right? Yeah, and they're staying <laughs> still. <laughs> um. But. So what? Uh. So then you leave the SG home. What do you What do you start playing guitar wise? Yeah, I mean, I had the SG and the BC Rich with them, and then we started. Uh, Paul Reed Smith started showing around. Uh, they started coming around and talking to Paige, and I kind of like slipped my way in there. And then, because I really like, he was he was really hell bent on his uh, ESPs and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm yeah. digging these Paul Reed Smiths myself. If you guys don't mind, I, would, I wouldn't mind taking a couple. So I started getting into those a lot. Um, and then at that same time. Ibanez was trying to reel me in a little bit. So they were actually taking my Paul Reed Smiths and taking all the specs off the neck and everything like that. And then they, they built me a couple of uh, custom Talmans. Oh, um, yeah. The and they're sweet guitars. Yeah, but they try to really take that because I really love Paul Reed Smith neck, the baseball bat neck that they have. Um, so Ibanez was, was like wide, fat. wide fat. Yeah. yeah, really fat, really wide, beautiful action on it. And it's just like, it, I still have those to this day. You can they could hang on the wall for twenty years and they're still in tune. And they the necks don't move and it's just a great solid guitar. So I been was trying to coax me with some of those. Um, so they built me a couple of custom talents, which are cool and everything. But uh, I really loved the Paul Reed Smiths. And then they gave me one of those uh, USRG crazy, you know, Floyd Rose, you know, typical metal guitar or whatever like that. And I hated it, so I flung it across the room, and, uh, and we played a Roseland. I just, I, I could not. It had that weird um, truss ride. It wasn't a truss ride. It was like a bar, and then you adjusted it like on the around the eighth or ninth fret. There was like an Allen key. Oh, but, that it was like an expander at that. Yeah, point. and it would like yeah. kind of change the action that way, and it was just, it was re just really a really skinny and flat, wide neck, and everything like that, and then. Uh, we had a show in New York, so we're playing home, and I'm having a hard time with this guitar, so I was just frustrated, and I chucked it, and I threw it, and it broke the neck off and everything, so, <laughs> you know, the guitar tech wind up gluing it all back together, and then I eBayed it for, like, you know, a couple hundred bucks, and the kid doesn't even know where it came from. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so you're in Helmet now, because um, you, you didn't play on Meantime, but you finished, you, you were actually in the videos for, uh, you know, for like Unsung, and you kind of, weren't you? No, 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 oh, no. no. That so was you, all Peter, yeah. So I really Peter, came in at the end. You yeah, finished I really came in at the tail end. end of the middle of the U.S. tour for them, um, 1993, because that came out in 92. So it was like the last leg of the U.S. tour for that album is when I came in, just as it happened to turn gold. Um, Perfect. And then, uh, good time. Oh yeah, it was a great time. It was you couldn't I couldn't ask for like a better time to get on a because there I was, you know, pieces broke up, whatever, 1990, whatever. You know, I'm like, all right, I'm washed up. I'm not doing anything musically. I can't get into a band. All my friends are like doing other things, and like, 
I went back to school. I started working and I'm like, ah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Next thing you know, boom, I quit college. I got on a tour bus the day after we played, uh, you know, Columbia university was our first gig. And then I took off and that was it. And that was, you know, I'm on the road. That's amazing. So it just kind of, it happened just like that too. Like one, you know, one second later I'm off, you know, that's great. So, so the end of that tour cycle, and then you guys go in the studio to do Betty and Betty is known. And, and I, I mean, I, I don't know anybody who doesn't like it, but Betty is known to be that pivotal record where Helmet started texturally sounding different, right? Yeah. I think I think it was a lot less of the heaviest distortion you can get with a tight noise gate to it, you know, to stop on the dime to, um, to the point where texturally you guys did. So how did you guys achieve some of those tones and, and what was it like in the studio doing that work? See, I'm really simple when it comes to that stuff. Like, I just like my sound, you know? I don't like a lot of stuff. Page, on the other hand, totally different. I mean, it could be like totally different rig for one thing, totally different, and, and just constantly experimenting head after this and that, you know? But me, it was just sticking to that one damn rock hard sledgehammer guitar sound. Right. And then, you know, maybe put some nice little things around it, you know, so certain things would be like, um, chord wise, that, that album was definitely a lot deeper. I mean, meantime was just a straight drop D, you know, sledgehammer. But then when he started writing the stuff for, uh, for Betty, it was definitely a lot more on the experimental thing and definitely a lot more, a lot prettier, definitely a lot more textural, things like that. So I just went in there basically my, after hearing, uh, his intention was for me to not even play on the record. So the, the fact that I got on it, you know, it was, was um, I was pretty happy with that. And the fact that, it, you know, to me, obviously my guitar sounds on there, um, was, was a good thing, but texturally it was just mostly all his stuff, you know, and, and, and the chord, we would play different things that would overlap and stuff like that. But. Yeah. Makes a big difference. I, uh, just because you mentioned, uh, you know, his, his intention to, for you to not even be on the record. Uh, didn't you, did you write a couple of songs on the record? Did you write Melt I Toast? did not. So there was this, this, there was this, that was all I, him? and I just found out this, I just found out last week when I did Drew Stone show that, you know, there was this thing with that. I wrote Milk, wrote Milk Toast. No, I did not. That I've and, always un, been under that impression. That's been a that's thing funny. we've heard from back then. I was telling Drew, like, go ahead. Let's say I did. <laughs> just <laughs> that's why. That's why I had to ask. I, I actually I mentioned it earlier. Uh, no, yeah, no, I did not. I wrote nothing you know, on that record. Just wow. send me a royalty check, right? Forget, yeah. forget the acknowledgement. <laughs> I just want some of the money. Well, this, you know, all that stuff is the reason why I'm not in the band because you know things can get ugly when it comes to the usual the money. They thing always and do. The royalty thing. They always that do like that stuff. Yeah. Uh, especially when you're you're a hundred percent the writer and and hundred percent the you know the, the the yes or no guy to say what is and what's not helmet you know after a while even the other two guys you know yeah found their way out because there's there's nowhere to go with that you know yeah well yeah that's the difference of being in the uh in the, i mean in, I, you know i got used to being or... in, and be basically you know i'm used to being a hired gun i mean i don't i never knew that that was going to be my thing but it's just you know that's basically what it turned out to be it was like all right now i'm going to be like the hired gun for whoever needs a guitar player, which is, which is fine because I've always been, 
more comfortable um, playing other people's songs that I like instead of trying to write songs that I, and I'm my worst critic. All these years, I've, I still haven't, I don't think I've ever written a full song because I always wind up throwing it in the garbage because I feel like it, you know, isn't good or it sounds like something. And so, and that I've always, I taught myself how to play guitar by listening to other people's music. So it's just like, to me, a natural progression of like, oh, I could play your stuff and then just fit in and be a hired gun. So it was, was kind of, that footprint was kind of set out for me, you know. Got it. Makes complete in hindsight, sense. it just looks like, oh, wow, you know, that was the path that kind of played itself out, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, and, and the PRS is, is something I wanted to get into, because I think you might have been one of the first people that came from our scene that I saw playing PRSs. Right. I, I mean, it was very early in Paul's career. Yeah, there was nobody around. That's why they were trying to get somebody in, like, the alternative kind of thing, because... You know, they were doing what Santana and maybe some other, you know, but but there was no like rock, you know, metal, hard rock guys playing that. So that's why I guess they were looking for for someone. And lucky for me, Paige kind of turned it down. He didn't really want to deal with it. Yeah. And at that point, they had picked you guys up. They had picked up, I think, Nick from 311 started. Right. The 311 guys started playing. And then, uh, yeah, they took off from there for those guys. So there was something that um, that you touched on earlier that kind of comes around and i think it's come around full circle i don't want to jump too far ahead but you you had mentioned that you you made a you made a frankenstein you had mentioned you were born a lefty but play guitar righty so we can't help but talk a little bit about eddie van halen and, yeah. and i know that you're you're you play some edh stuff and so let, let's talk about that for a, for a bit so what did yeah, Eddie sure. I mean, do? I mean, he was just two guitar players that even as, as I was learning that I wouldn't even touch because I'm not going there. I'm not a speed guy. I, I admire Randy Rhodes. I admire Eddie Van Halen, you know, for Eddie Van Halen. For me, it's always been like, you know, the song could suck. I never liked the Sammy Hagar stuff, whatever. But you know when the solo came, it was on. You know, you, you knew it was going to be like tongue flicking and kind of like, ah, you know, it was on. You know, so that his natural ability to just like rock out was always so fun to me. So that's what I always admired his just natural ability to just like be this rock dude. You know, the, like the guitar hero. So when he passed, it was just it just hit me in the head like, wow, man, that's like so much of my childhood was spent listening to him, even though, I, you know, I wouldn't try to even copy that. It, it hit home a lot more because it was like deeply rooted in like how I grew up and how I, you know, got into metal in the first place, you know, and by listening to like Van Halen, one with my brother and, and things like that. So it was really emotional in that sense that like, wow, all those moments were like gone. Right. And then and I've always, not that I wasn't a fan of his sound, but it's just something that I could never use. You know, you couldn't use like the brown sound in like a metal band, you know, or in a hardcore band. Yeah. But, you know, when he passed and he started, I started delving into that sound a little bit more. And it was just like, wow, you know, it's like such a cool tone, you know. And what I really liked about him was the fact that he would basically take a chisel and try to anything to make it work the way he wanted it to work. You know, totally 
not my style because I, I would never do that to like a Paul Reed Smith because I just like everything nice and pretty and you know pickups are straight and the guitar is all shiny yeah. you know but for him to do that you know I kind of live filthy through him you know yeah no, absolutely. <laughs> then, so I picked up like a lunchbox um uh the lunchbox uh, amp and I and a 112 and I started playing that and I'm like holy man that thing is loud so loud I couldn't even enjoy it so like all the other amps in here, I can't enjoy them because they're just too loud. My dog is scared. I'm not going to piss off the neighbors. Um, and along comes Zum, uh, Neil from Fry It, and he yeah. introduces me into the uh, power station where I can crank all that stuff up at bedroom level, <laughs> get the tone that I love. And I haven't left this room since because it's just like all I want to do <laughs> is find every single amp I could find and, and get that sound whether it be a Jimi hendrix sound get eddie van halen sound all that stuff and i'm still like a kid when it comes to that stuff people are like oh do you want your own signature like pickup i'm like no like the billy gibbons pearly gates pickup is like the greatest thing on the planet like if it's, it's good enough for him it's good enough for me i don't need my own who am i trying to kid you know there's so many uh oh unstable connection um no, we can hear you you're good you guys hear me yeah you're good yeah. we still got you Okay. Yeah. Now everything's all broken. So, you know, all that stuff, like I still, to this day, what did that dude use? You know, I'm 53 years old. I'm still sitting there like, what did this guy use back in the day? I'm still trying to like copy like a kid, you know, but I think that's the fun of being a musician is just yeah. like finding 100%. those little things, you know, um, but you, you hit on it, it because that, that pearly gates is a PAF, a PAF knockoff, right? Which is what Eddie put in the Frankenstein. Right, right. And now and they're actually, paying like, not they're exorbitant amount of money for like a pickup to be like the brown pickup. But it's like, geez, yeah. it wasn't that difficult for him. You know, you don't really need like, he. That's where it gotten it's gotten away a little bit. Where it's like he was minimal to a point. You know. Yeah. And he found a Very way to so. simply right. And now it's just like get the other way around. You know, it's like yeah. you just had his MXR pedals and that and his yep. plexi and, and everything was great. You know, you didn't need like yeah. 9 million things, you know, uh, so, so I'm yeah. still yeah. of that school. Yeah. It's funny that you picked up that focus. I'm actually looking for the candy apple blue right now. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've always loved that color. And I was like, you know what? I just need to find that guitar. It's not a crazy expensive guitar. Uh, uh, it's just hard to find the blue one. Yeah. The blue one's really hard to find. I've seen the candy yeah. apple ones before, but, um, and apparently they were made in like the SP factory or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's it was, uh, I mean, I, I live down, I'm in Tom's River. I'm a little south okay. of you. Uh, right, yeah. Neptune is where the factory was. Right, right. Yeah. So I met so, this guy, the, the guy who actually works on my guitars now, um, has a place in Ocean Grove. This guy called, uh, his name's Matthew. He works for, uh, uh, he has a good, um, don't, uh, what's it called? Don't fret re guitar repair. He's in oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Ocean yep. Grove. Yep. So I met him. And he turned out to be like mentoring from those guys. So he had, he was connected to a lot of stuff. So the first thing I walk in, he's got like a, a, a flaming pink, um, uh, not a pacer, but uh, the striker, like sitting there, gutted nice. out. So uh, I wound up taking his, his Floyd Rose from that because my BC Rich needed a Floyd Rose. So I took the Floyd Rose from there and he put it on here. But he's telling me all the Kramer stories and everything like that. And yeah, uh, a friend of mine is actually John Berardi's daughter. Oh, wow. I met out here, you know, and I, and it never even dawned on me until I, I yeah. heard her talk about like when Eddie passed, like he was at her house and like all the stuff like that. And she was telling me how David Lee Roth almost killed her cat because he <laughs> left out, he left the blowout 
and the cat like got hold of the blow. <laughs> and he she oh, almost and he almost killed the cat. But like, yeah, so John Berardi was her father, and then like these guys would go oh, that's great. Hang out in Belmar and stuff at her house and, and yeah. all that stuff. So yeah. Neptune Neptune, New Jersey, Kramer guitars. You know? That's right. So talking about the Franken strat. Right. So I was out of Fender and um, hanging out with Jeff Carey, who runs that whole EVH division and and we're like they were they were in the middle of doing the the first EVH reissue of it. Right. And um, and we're we're back in an office and he's like, Oh, check this out. So I'm like checking it out. I'm like, wow, yeah, this this thing's rad. This thing's really cool. He's like, Yeah, it's not a replica. Like you're, you're <laughs> Oh man. And I was like, Oh, oh wow. man, that's awesome. That's that's pretty cool. And then I start touching the pickup. That's amazing. He's, he's like, What are that's you doing? Amazing, I was like, it's cool to hold the guitar. But this is the closest I've ever come to a real PAF. I've <laughs> done everything in my power, even begging on social media as far as, as much as I could beg on social media to any EVH person on the planet to help me freaking find that guitar, but I, it's to no avail. Oh, so, so I found a Bumblebee one. on. I, I got a Bumblebee. Oh, okay. Through, I got a Bumblebee through Facebook Marketplace. Uh, and I just got the uh, the new um, Frankenstrat. I, I got the new one. Yeah, I saw but, the um, pictures that you posted. Yeah, it was just uh, the Bumblebee. A quick story, man. Uh, I, I see a listing on Facebook Marketplace for, for a, a Bumvee, B-U-M-V-E-E, right? And it's a picture. So I'm thinking like, all right, you know, some like scam thing, whatever. Um, $700, right? And I'm like, this can't be right. So I, I, I send the thing. Is it still available? Blah blah blah. The guy's like, yeah, you know, it's still available. All right. Uh, where are you at? So he's like, Far Rockaway. Okay. All right. All right. I'm in Jersey. You're in Far Rockaway. It takes me like an hour and a half. Whatever. I was like, long story short, I was like, do not sell that freaking guitar. I'm coming down. To, I that the morning of, I'm supposed to go get it. I I text him. And I'm driving down there. Sure as shit. There it is. Uh, 20, uh, 2013 Bumblebee needs a setup, $700 cash. Oh, the guy's like, I don't even you know. I know they're going for it. He's like, Hey, 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 Rob, how you doing? Uh, yeah, these are going for a lot now, but uh, I just want to get rid of it. Da, da, da. Something like it's something's wrong with it, you know. <laughs> but for that much, what how much could we really be wrong with it? So I just looked at it real quick. I hand him the money and I start taking off. He's like trying to have a conversation with me. I'm like, I'm out of here. Give me that guitar and I'm out. Because yeah. as he's selling it to me, his phone is blowing up. Don't sell it. I'll give you a thousand for it. Don't sell yeah. it. I'll give you this. And they were going for like twelve hundred or more, and it was yep. an eight hundred dollar guitar. Yeah. You know, so I lucked out with that. Not so much on the the Frankenstrat, which is super overpriced and definitely not worth that amount of money. Definitely not. For a Mexican made Strat. Mexican yeah. made strat, yeah. no way. Yeah, that's but how it is, though. We all have that one. We all have that one. Oh yeah. Maybe it was overpriced, but it's just something we've always. But, yeah, I'm. I'm never gonna have. It. I mean, it is cool. I mean, it's great. It sounds great. Everything about it is fantastic. But it's not an almost two thousand dollar guitar. There's no. Nah. Way. But is. you know what? Some of that Mexican stuff. I I have a a fifty uh, a fifties road worn P bass out of the Mexican right. factory. 
that is amazing. Me too, man. My telly is fantastic, man. Yeah, so the road worn yeah. telly yep. thing is fantastic, man. And then I ended up getting a 54 Strat with the V-neck out of the Mexican factory, the road worn one. And it's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they, the, that factory has come along. You win some, you lose some. You know, you pay some, you know, but like, I'm not complaining, man. That guitar is fantastic. I was just like, wow, man, almost two grand now. <laughs> so, yeah. in your career, you've come across a number of, you know, you, you've been on a lot of tours, played with a lot of people, done some cool shit, but what's the coolest piece of brag gear story that you got to play, maybe it was somebody else's, maybe it was a famous piece of gear that you got a chance to get your hands on. Um, I, I wish. You make me feel bad that I don't have like a phenomenal story like that. I mean, hang out with a bunch of cool people, and they don't really play their stuff. You know how we are with, with our guitars, man. Ain't nobody, nobody touching my stuff. But probably when it comes to any guitar dude, the guy you want to talk to is Billy Gibbons. Oh, yeah. Because we, so we were on a Bill Helmet, um was on a bill it was like an outdoor festival in switzerland i want to say and it was aerosmith zz top and helmet wow along with other bands obviously but i'll never forget playing my guitar and i come and i get a tap on the shoulder and there's billy gibbons i just wanted to introduce myself came up shook his hand he shook my hand introduced himself while, during our set and was like the sweetest guy ever. He happened to have his guitar maker with him. Some guy, I don't even know his name, but they had like a, a guitar book. And, and he was just going, he hung out after the show for like a couple hours, just going through all his guitars and uh, and and showing his pictures and everything like that. And he was just like the coolest, nicest guy. And he is like my favorite guitar player because that's more like my thing of like that, that Texas sizzle, like laid yeah. back in the pocket kind of, I'm not a speed dude, you know? So to hear him playing like right there, was just like, that, that's it, man. And, yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing. nasty. He, he's a, we've heard some tone for days with that man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just everything does. about him. He, uh, it, it, we, we've, we've discussed him before. And, uh, I think one of the things I love about him is he's, he's a guitar guy. Like, right. he isn't just a, a phenomenal player and a famous player. Like, he honors the guitar. Like, uh, there's a story, and I don't know for sure if it's true, but I read it in, like, a book or a magazine, so chances are it's probably up there. But, uh, like, he had a guitar made out of wood from Muddy Waters' boyhood home. Right, yeah, like, I heard about Muddy that. loved Muddy Waters yeah. enough that yeah. he had a guitar made. Right from a piece of wood like he just he he loves guitar he's into guitar yeah uh, he's, he's he's like that little kid who still yeah. likes guitars man and, and like once you lose that then then put it away because it's always you know my wife's like when are you gonna stop i'm like you never stop it's like you exactly. never have enough it's just not <laughs> you know this one sounds different this one has this this one has that and, and they're all just so cool like there's not enough guitars in the world how yeah. wild is it that right now we can think back to when we were playing in hardcore bands, we were a lot younger, we had one guitar, one amp, right? And to think like, I can't get rid of, like I can never whittle my collection down to one guitar again, ever. Every time, you know, as we keep talking, the collection keeps getting bigger and bigger. 
Right. And, um, anybody who doesn't follow your social media, um, you know, we do. So you got a hell of a collection of Gibsons. I wouldn't say a hell. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty modest about my, it, it's, you know, I, I just, you know, you have to have a Les Paul. You have to have an SG. You have to have, I mean, you have one, you have to have one of everything. Like I don't have an Explorer and it's killing me because I want one really bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean, and they're all just like the reissue. So, I mean, I guess, you know, they're great. So you, got, you got a 335. I got a, it's a 335 Pro. So it's the last of the dots. And it's the one that they made with the two. Um, there's not a north and south, or, or like the the really hot pickups. So they both there, there's screws on on both. Um, yeah, yeah. You right. know what I mean? What are they called? Um, so like that's a, it's a 335 Pro is what it is. It's okay. a 87 335 Pro because uh, yeah, I really hard at heart. Uh, I couldn't find uh, a 335 at that time, so I found that somewhere in the city. Uh, during the helmet days, and I picked that up, and it's a smoke nice. guitar. It's pretty cool. Well, at that point, I hate to tell you, it's a vintage guitar now. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I like those little one-off things like that. You know, it's like, oh, it's going to three thirty-five, but like, like my, uh, I have a, I always wanted a one seventy-five. Mm-hmm. So we were happen to we happened to be in Groom, in Nashville, and they had a a, a rare TD one twenty-five, which is the P nineties. Yep. And it's also the full depth right. guitar, it wasn't like the shallow that they made. So it, I was like, I always wanted a jazz box. That one's a lot cheaper than a 175. So I picked that up. And it's great because of the P90s and the whole thing. So I put flat wands on it. It's got a oh, really, nice. yeah, I put flat wands on it and a really small neck. So that's kind of like my, my, my jazz box kind of situation. But it's always like, I want this one, but then I kind of find <laughs> one a little below it, you know? We've been there. cool because we're all like they're they're all like these little one offs you wouldn't really find you know. Yep, actually, it's just Dan something I've had, always loved. Yeah, Dan had helped find uh, my ex-wife had bought me a guitar once, and Dan had I I was really I had to have the Noel Gallagher Supernova. I oh, wanted yeah, yeah. I wanted it bad, and Dan said no, you're not buying that piece of shit, and he <laughs> he found and that's, an that's true. that is true. He found an Epiphone Sheridan natural mm-hmm. nitrocellulose uh, built in the uh, uh, in the Michigan factory. So it was a USA wow. Epiphone Sheridan. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was a John Lee Hooker. It was uh, yeah. so it had natural natural body, uh, natural neck, two tone wood. So the body and neck were two different colors. Wow. Um, Beautiful, beautiful guitar. But yeah, I wouldn't let them. At that point, those supernovas were sought after, but they were Epiphones. I love Epiphones, but the amount of money they were going for for an Epiphone was not worthwhile. Yeah. So I, I told my, this my, my, my pride and joy is my Travis Bean. Travis Bean is definitely, you know. We I wanted to go there next. Tell us that was, the story. That was the next question. I, I, so the Helmet guys, were really, we were really big on two things, buying guitars and buying vinyl. So we would go on a tour bus, it'd be empty. By the time we came back, it'd be crates of records and, <laughs> and shitloads of guitars. So I remember being in Florida, and then I found that uh, somewhere in Florida for like 700 bucks. What? And, and I bought it, and I was like, because at that time, the way I got into that was because it's Jesus Lizard, Dwayne yeah. Dennison. Yep. Uh, we were touring with them at the time, you know? So oh, that's me, amazing. That whole new, the whole helmet thing to me was a trip because that wasn't like the alternative you know noise dude i was like a metal hardcore kid you know so 
going out. I, I wasn't part of the whole M rep thing. I wasn't part of like, you know, sub pop and all that stuff. You know, I, I wasn't into that stuff. So then going out with like Jesus lizard and like sausage and stuff like that, it was like a whole, especially the lizard. I was like, whoa, what the hell is going on here? You know? And then Dwayne is such a phenomenal freaking guitar player that I was like, that sounded, he had that high watt amp and he had that Travis Bean. And I just thought it was like the coolest thing on the planet. So when I saw that in Florida, I picked it up, brought it home. I still have it. And it's just like, a, a, it's, I think it's a 70, 1978 Travis Bean. That is that what damn what's that guitar worth now i yeah i mean i think it's probably close to five easy now. yeah it's a standard it's not an artist so the artists yeah the artists are up there but uh, the standards i think are probably five six thousand yeah. wow man that that's a killer piece that, yeah. I mean, people who don't know what it is overlook it people who know what it is yeah yeah. yeah, so you know when I, the I did. plan comes into play <laughs> and like the house is burning, you know that we have to have the plan. Yeah, that's probably the first one that's gonna you know be thrown out the window while my wife my wife catches it, whatever you know. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it'll be a close second, but you know I'll do, I'll do my best. <laughs> yeah. So in in all the studio work that you've done, um, we actually we had Billy on Billy Bio a couple weeks ago. And we were talking about, and he, and he told us a, a really awesome story of how the coolest studio tone tip he ever got from a producer. And he goes, it's still something I use today. Was there anything that you learned across uh, over, over the time that you've spent on the road and in studios, either by a guitar tech or a producer or an engineer, some tone tip that you like still like you'll always remember and apply? Not, uh, not really tone. Like most producers for me, it was more about, um, like working with Butch Vig and Andy Wallace. It was definitely more, that's where that textural stuff that we talked about was coming in, you know, like paying attention to that, you know? So I always thought once I learned that now I understand, you know, how to layer things better to, you know, which in turn will give you better tone uh, on your record. But like, it was more about, you know, using a strap for this sound in conjunction with, you know, the Travis Bean for this. And then how am I going to complement that with, like, say, you know, this amp or whatever. And, and now, like, trying to find those tools, trying to use more tools in the toolbox as far as trying to find specific sounds. Whereas, like, you know, like, like the pieces was just, like, JCM 800, full blast, you know, and done. Yeah. But if I were to be able to do that all over again, there would be whole lot of different amps and a whole lot of different guitars going on because of just you know textural and and, and you know and sonic stuff to to make that stuff sound a little bit better it, so like what so what what would you have done different in rest in pieces um i mean there's definitely things that that would have required maybe like a like a like an orange sound you know or or like a plexi sound you know yeah. um things like that just amps that that this song could have been a little bit less metal, you know, and maybe, you know, it was all about having that metal thing, you know? And to me, that's always changed now because tone never really mattered to me until Iron Maiden Killers. Like every lead had a sound like Iron Maiden Killers because it was like the coolest lead sound I ever heard in my life. Everybody wanted that round, like, you know, Dave Murray tone. So it was always that along with the Metallica 
master of puppets like rhythm sounds you know like those yeah. two things are like the most iconic sounds to me but if you try to put them both together they really wouldn't work so it's just more of like how do you make those things work and what will kind of bring that all together you know so you start to think about frequencies and and, and things like that so i would probably go back and, and drive armand crazy because he just likes it one way <laughs> you know but i would probably be there like oh i'm gonna break out the telecaster for this and break out you know uh the, the deluxe reverb for this part and then this because you know oh you can't do that because you can't do that live that was the whole thing with hardcore where the restrictions would come because if you couldn't do it live you were not going to do it on your record which yeah. to me is like no the record is for you to sit home and like you know yeah, listen the to record it. is the record it should be sonically amazing like every band i i loved that was in like like a hawkwind record that like you know Levitation is like one of my favorite Hawkwind records, and it says a headphone album. On the back of it, it says a headphone album. So when you go and you put your headphones on, that album should mean something. It shouldn't just be one flat thing. Yeah. You know, so I would never record the same way again. If, and, and whether it be a hardcore band or anything like that, it would have to have different, you know, sonic things, depth, ranges of, of, of different sounds, you know, is, right. is what I learned to use a little bit more. So that's that's a timing thing, right? In in hardcore, back, I mean, let let's call first wave. I mean, and there's debates on first wave hardcore, second wave hardcore, third wave hardcore. Right, right, but right. like, nobody ever refers back to Black Flag and goes, "That's the tone I've always wanted," right? And no one should. Right. <laughs> right. So like or you know, even even AF. Right, those guys—they were—they were their tones were derived from a punk sound, right? And then, and then, like this change came, right? Where, you know, I guess a lot of hardcore guys were into metal. It was always about getting a heavier sound. But when production on metal records went through right. the roof, right, it changed the game for hardcore. Totally. Um, so uh, it's a shame because some of those older records that either we've played on or our, all of our friends have played on and done, if they could be redone with more modern sounds, I to me I would say like those first, like the first Leeway record, mm -hmm. redefined that that sound, that hardcore guitar sound. Even though it's kind of I guess thrashy, but it was that whole thrash thing that really kind of changed, you know, bridged that gap. But there are certain guys, like, you know, when you hear, like, Brian Baker's guitar sound, you're just like, wow, that's, a, you know, a cool, you know. There's some, like, that's a dude that you know is playing, looking for tone. You know, sometimes I think yeah. that, you know, like some of us, like the straight-ahead things that we did, I, I I was looking for tone but didn't have the ability. I, I, the first time it was made, like, on a pig nose amp and a microphone. It sounds like garbage. Sounds like absolute garbage because that's all. I always had the worst luck when it came to like recording guitar because it always sounded like garbage and it never sounded like the way I wanted it to sound. The pieces, straight ahead, whatever. It was always like a, I don't know why, but it was always a hard thing to yeah. pull off or, or, or not or get the right gear to, to, you know, come off on a recording the way it should. And the only time that ever happened was that live recording. Um, but like you know, guys like Brian Baker, you, it was you a know, great show too. About his tone there, and then you also like negative approach, like some of those. You know, those are like good punk distorted sounds. But then for the most part, you know, no one really thinks about tone. You know, you're, like, you're yeah. not going to replicate like the slap shot step on it guitar tone, right? Right. Um, I mean, maybe you're not. 
I will. <laughs> but you know what? You mentioned Brian Baker. Brian Baker is the, um, you know, is the Billy Gibbons of, of punk rock and hardcore. Hey, because dude. those dudes, you can give them any guitar, you could give them any amp, and it's going to sound like Brian Baker, right? Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen him play through so many different guitars and amps, and hopefully one day we'll have him on this podcast because his tones, it's the tone we've been chasing. I, I can speak for myself. I can speak for Dan as well. We've been chasing that tone from record to record to band to band. No matter what it is, the guy sounds like Brian. Yeah. And no matter how you try to replicate it, you can't. I don't even, I don't know the guy, but he literally is, uh, lives down the street. He's a neighbor of mine now. Yeah. 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 We moved to Neptune like not too, not too long ago. And uh, I ran into him a couple of times on the boardwalk and then all that, you know, but um, yeah, it's just kind of funny, but uh, he's got from same thing, judging by his social media, he's got quite the collection in his house of like, you know, all those guitars and, and amps and stuff like that. So he's definitely more of a gear guy. Like I said, I kind of stuck to like guitars and now I'm like, oh, I wish I had more gear because gear is fun. You know, <laughs> that's what this like is all about. Okay. It sounds like you're doing fine. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, too, because uh, I. Uh, I would probably I was more amp heavy for a long time than guitar heavy. I had a lot of guitars, but I didn't really use them. Uh, I was very specific on what I would use. But amps, I just, I like so many tones right. that I don't even care if my sound is different half the time, just because I want to be able to incorporate everything I can uh, as much as humanly possible. And then I'm like, oh, the Rob. maintenance on all this stuff is brutal, man. Like the maintenance on, I, just the maintenance on guitars is like, oh my God, you know, you know, keeping everything set up and ready to go is just, yeah. you know, it's work. Yeah. But For it's, sure. It's good stuff. So what would you say, you know, we've talked about what you've had, what you've acquired, you know, that Travis Bean, which I, as soon as I, I never know, never saw that you had that before. And that's, I commented on Facebook the second I saw the picture when you posted that picture recently, uh, what would you say is the, the piece of gear that got away from you? What is the thing that you should have gotten, but didn't get? Hmm. Uh... I always get what I want, man. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> no, I don't that's, know. That's a, <laughs> hey, that's a great response. That's as valid a response as a story about a thing that got away. Yeah, nothing really ever got away, but there's plenty of yeah. things that I want. You know. Yeah, you know, wanting is different. Yeah. You know? But uh, a woulda, coulda, shoulda kind of situation. Um, luckily, I don't have it because that would really irk me because that's how I get in trouble with all these things. Once it's in my head, like I want this. <laughs> I gotta get it or it just won't stop. It won't yeah. go away, you know? So, um, and luckily, you know, I, I, I don't go for like, you know, oh, I want a Gibson Black Beauty uh, in 1950 or whatever, you know, that's not gonna happen. You know, I know that. But, you know, if I, if I have the opportunity, that those are the things that I would really want. You know, like the, the vintage classics, you know, is definitely the yeah. one. I'd be happy with my Explorer right now if I could find a good Explorer, you know, something like that. Yeah. They're out there, man. Actually, well, funny, you know what's fun? The funny thing was that, so I'm not going to let it out of the bag. So Armand and Craig and, and I, because uh, I'm superstitious, so we, we recorded a cover of something that we're hoping to put out, but these things sometimes I feel if I say what it is, it's not going to come out because it's been over a year already and it still hasn't come out. But anyway, 
um, it in, involved in a band that had an Ibanez Destroyer. And it's like, yeah, that'd be cool if I could play an Ibanez Destroyer on the video. Let me go and look for an Ibanez Destroyer. So I go and I'm like, holy crap, what are they worth now, man? <laughs> and they're really hard to find and they're really worth a lot of money. So uh, I never got my Ibanez Destroyer. So that'd be one on top of this. Um, and and it's just little things like that. I still look back at Guitar Heroes and be like, that's the guitar I want just because he was playing it. You know? So that, that's always my thing. Same. Same. Yeah, same. Same here. Yeah. I think that's a common thread uh, between all of us. Like there's regardless of what we uh, we end up getting, there's always those things we still want. I just want everything. It doesn't matter how much I have. <laughs> I still want it all. <laughs> But then if then I have one SG, I need three because that'd be different. Yes, the old tone stuff was like, you know, huh, all right, let me buy this plexi. Let me see what it sounds like. I'm like, holy crap, it sounds amazing. Now I really want a real plexi. You know, that JT45, let me, let me put that in there. Yeah. And they sound freaking phenomenal. So what I was doing was actually running my Mac into the, um, the Friot, into the power station, and running that into a cabinet. So using the Mac as oh. a head. Yeah. And then running that smart as loud as freaking possible i'm like yeah it's, it's kind of fun it's probably not like the real thing but it's you know it's good enough for what yeah. i'm doing now, yeah. which is much, you know? it opens up a lot of possibilities yeah, like having just, having any cool. amp you want at your fingertips at any time. trying to get a decent guitar tone now it's like you know um i, I had the luxury of, of jamming out with peter chris because he lives in wall township and uh that's what i did i dragged my mac over there and i plugged in my mac and i just used a freaking simulated guitar amp and we jam you know dude that is can, a... we, can we just back up a little yeah. to what you just said <laughs> i love that you just glossed over that part we're fo we're focusing on the why i'm a musician <laughs> uh, so you oh you want the stories i'm saying that, we, yeah we got it we got to hear this so I leave Biohazard in 2000 and I move to Jersey, right? Because I do the one thing every New Yorker says they're never going to do. I'm going to move to New Jersey. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they eventually come to Jersey too. <laughs> so I wound up coming to Jersey, right? And then I'm, you know, I'm not, I became a personal trainer because I wasn't playing in bands anymore. So I was working at a gym. And then I look on the treadmill and literally I see this dude who, if you ever know what Wall Township looks like, it's not dyed black hair and leather and black. It's not. So there's this one dude with like kind of long, straggly hair, pale as a ghost, and in black. And I'm like, Peter, because we played with them in Donington. We 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 did a, the Donington Fest with them. Right, right. So uh, I walk up to him and I'm like, I introduced myself. And I was like, I played guitar and bias. We opened and we just looked at each other like. And what the hell are you doing here? I'm from Queens and you're from Brooklyn. What the hell are we doing in Wall Township, New Jersey? You know, and it turned out that his wife was uh, is from Wall. So he moved out here. Uh, and then we just started talking and hanging out and whatever. And then he was like a ranger guy, you know. Well, not really a ranger, but uh, he was writing, he was having his audio autobiography written by the guy who wrote uh, the ranger book, Larry Ratzel Solomon. So he put two and two together. That was a huge Rangers fan. He's like, Hey, I know Larry's a huge Rangers fan. Why don't we go to a game? So we wound up hanging out, going to a game and all that stuff like that. But then it took him like a good three years to warm up because he's kind of recluse and kind of like very, very, mm, 
you know, yeah. real leery of people because he's 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 you know he's had sex. Yeah, steal uh, stuff from you know people steal stuff from his house and everything like that. So I'm sure he's had a lot of people try and take advantage of him. Yeah, or yeah. something from him. Yeah, so so it was kind of weird for me to be that you know I went to his house because um I had a copy of Let It Be on DVD and he hasn't seen it in years and he loves the Beatles so he's like you know why don't you bring the video bring your guitar we'll hang out and play right so I, so I bring that the DVD and in my and my my Mac, and we just hung out, watched that, and I went into uh, Strange Ways from Hotter Than Hell. I don't think he appreciated it too much, but I went into that song. <laughs> that is my favorite freaking song ever. <laughs> so he's like, what do you want to play? And I got and I go right into it. He's just like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> so we just jammed out. A little. It was historic in, in my own little world. Yeah. But, That's a great um, moment. It's a great it was moment. A great moment, man. He was he was cool, as sweet as can be. And then, uh, you know, then that's I wanted, awesome. We we lost touch, but that was my Peter Chris story for the night. Oh, that's <laughs> epic. <laughs> that's epic. So, uh, so then, what about uh, we talked about? You don't really have a piece that got away because you just love everything the same as us. What about how how about like a piece that you wish you never got? Was there something that that you got that you said I don't know why I got this? Besides, would it just be that Ibanez? That's I figured it had to be that, but I figured I'd ask if there maybe there was something else that you got and sold. One that never one that didn't make it to me holding on to everything in my life. The only one that just the one that never should have been never should have been, you know. No offense to uh, Ivan as USRGs. I see everybody and their mother playing them, but uh, not, uh, not my everything isn't for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the way I've never owned like a shredder guitar. I don't get me wrong. I don't play jet, but I've always been after like a, an L5, man. An L5 would be something phenomenal to have, man. Yeah. Just to look at and just to hold and be like, yeah, try to play some West Montgomery licks on you or something like that. It's kind of cool. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, something like that's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I try to cover, you know, I, I try to get a strat for, uh, for, for all the strat guys with my Richie Blackmore's, my Hendrix's, my fast Eddie Clark's, you know, that covers that the last calls for the Jimmy pages and the ace Freelys of the world. Um, Paul Reed Smith's nobody. That's just my guitar. I guess I, I look at it as mine, you know, but no one really, I, I know that plays them that, uh, grew up listening to them. Right? Yeah. So, right. So, yeah. This may go back to the Ibanez too. <laughs> so, one of my I, what I love hearing about is disasters. So, and I've been, you know, Dan and I have both been on some some fun tours, and I've seen major meltdowns on stage with gear. Um, other than the Ibanez, had, did you have a massive gear, you know, disaster while on tour? There was, there was uh, uh, the only reason I remember it because I really had to apologize profusely to my guitar tech for like knocking the amp over on top of him and like the cabinets and everything and just throwing a fit and like throwing everything I possibly could. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it wasn't guitar related. It was probably amp related where everything just went out and blew up uh, and it was pretty bad. But anytime you, back then, anytime you blew a string on anything with a Floyd Rose, it was just bad news. <laughs> Because you know that was before the trim stoppers and the D tuners and all that stuff like that. So it was just like 
quick, hurry up, guitar change fast, you know? Um, but Better luckily, have a backup and a backup for the backup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, luckily now it's, it, it, now it's fun to have them. Back then it wasn't like, it wasn't fun to have those at all because it was just a disaster waiting to happen. You know, and I'll tell you, just as bad, I, I was teching for Walter Schreifels one night, a Gorilla Biscuit show, and he has that old SG with the wraparound tremolo. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And in the dark, trying to loop a string through the that little hole. <laughs> nub. That's just as bad as trying to do a Floyd Rose on, on, on the fly. Oh, yeah, those things are even worse. Yeah, talk yeah. about not singing in tune either. Man. Yeah. So, Dan. So, this is, a, it's a, this is always the last question that I have, and it's just because I love throwing it at people. And honestly, it's something that I probably wouldn't be able to answer myself or uh, I, it, it would be different every night. Uh, Desert Island picks, your Desert Island gear. You get an amp, you get a guitar, you get, we'll give you a pedal. What, uh, what is it going to be? That's it forever. Forever. I would have to go. I would have to go the the Eddie Van Halen way. I'd have to say a plexi, because then you could you could you could get stuff out of that plexi, man. Um, an MXR phaser. Uh, and and a strat. Yeah. I wow. Yeah. I would surprise me with the strat. Yeah, but then, again, but then uh, am I allowed to go single hum? You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go single, single yeah. hum. Go yeah, for it. Go for it. it. Yeah. If I can go single, single hum on that, then you got it all covered, man. You got that's all you yeah. need. You know, the phase, the, the phase ninety will kind of make that lead sound a little bit better. The plexi, you can cover ground on that, clean or bad. You know, three little. That's a very strategic answer. I like. That. Yeah, and then and it's, it's a great classic combination. No. You got all your choices right there. Yeah. And also, if I get a little uh, push pull knob there too, I mean, then you get some more dynamics out of that. So whatever you need, <laughs> all right. whatever no. you need out of the guitar. <laughs> make that, you know, make that five way two, push pull, pull seven way switch, whatever you want to do. All right, the rotary switch. Get five. We'll go rotary. We'll, we'll yeah. do whatever you need. Make it a seven way that try, that puts a little mid scoop in there. Hold I, I never got into those until PRS gave me a. PRS gave me a, uh, um, what's it called? It's, uh, it's their Strat. It's basically a the Silver Sky. The CE, CE3. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, the Bolt-On? The Bolt-On. Yeah. CE3 with the Lindy Fralin single coils. Right? It's got the Lindy Fralin single coil, the domino pickups. Yep. And then it has that three, uh, the three-way toggle, well, five-way toggle, and then it has the push-pull thing. I was like, what the hell does this do? I never understood it until like, you know, like last month <laughs> when I'm like, oh, wow, check this out. And then the tones were like coming out. I'm like, holy great. And they also did, they gave me a, a custom 22 um, with one of those on there. So now you got the, you know, the dragon pickups you know, split and everything. I was just like, this is fantastic. They went from total like country guitar to like total metal guitar to everything all in one, man. And it's just yeah, like, that's phenomenal. That, that would be one of those guitars you got to take with you. Man. Yeah. Hopefully. Here's a secret. Dragon pickups don't sound good in any other guitar for Paul Reed's. But then, yeah. But, and they're so like, and I didn't realize until I started like becoming a nerd and taking like the, 
um, multimeter to them. You know, they are high freaking output, man. They're like super, yeah. super duper like high. I'm like, why am I ripping these out? First of all, I used to rip them out. Yep. Now, like I have two custom 22s and I actually had them at PRS put in uh, Curly Gates Neck and then one has a Duncan Custom Custom and then the other one has a Curly Gates Neck and uh, SH, no, the JB model. So they had to do that because of the rotary switch and they had to flip the magnets and do all that stuff because of the, the poles weren't lining up and all that stuff. The fiber rotary switch is a pain in the ass. So they actually did that at Paul Reed Smith for me and it sounds great, but then I'm like, those pickups are pretty good for Paul Reed Smith and I shouldn't have ripped them out, but I did. And, yeah. now, and now I don't want to unwire that to put it back in. <laughs> because it, you ever, if you ever see no that. No need to, just buy a new guitar. The five-way rotary switch is like this big. Yeah. And like yeah. nine million connections to it. I'm like, I'm pretty good with a soldering iron, but not that good. Yeah. You know? I'm not that great because I can burn myself all the time with it. You know? ah, nice. Don't we all? Got a hole in my arm. <laughs> but. So, Rob, want to thank you so much for joining us tonight, man. Great conversation. Thank you for having me. I hope, you know, I hope I'm geary enough for you, but I'm definitely getting more and more into it. So, uh, oh, you are. I should begin. Maybe I'll have more amps this time because that's that's like my new uh, my new thing. It's like. Oh, uh, you know what? We'll just keep the text string going. We'll add Dan to it, and and we are known to be the two. Like, we're like we'll be your pusher. <laughs> oh yeah. We'll your bad influence. <laughs> That's what my wife calls Neil. He's like, he's like your pusher man. Yeah, that's the way it goes. <laughs> like, you want this, you want this head, you want this cabinet. It's yep. only like nine thousand dollars for the bride stuff, but here you want this. If I see a text that starts with "Should I buy?", I'll be texting yes before yes. <laughs> hit that string. It's like totally. never mind auto correct. It just auto replies yeah. yes. Should I buy? Yes. That if you if you ask me if you should buy anything guitar related, the answer is yes. That's just that's just it. I don't if care you haven't that. had a chance to play his Sound City stuff, oh Oof. god, so good. That's so I, good. I really want to. I really want to try that stuff out one day. Yeah. And, so and thanks. People on Facebook Marketplace because there's there's been a lot of stuff showing up on there. I actually had to send Neil a text because somebody put a Sound City amp on there, and I sent him a screenshot, and I and I wanted the whole lowdown of the whole thing, and it turned out to you know. I needed to walk away from it, so it was a good thing that, that Neil got involved in it. That way, uh, I wouldn't have gotten into something I shouldn't have. Yeah. Well, we'll be a bad influence, I promise. All right. I look forward to it, man. Besides that, or if you uh, if you want any Marshall stuff, I know a guy. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much, Rob. Take us out. All right. Okay. Take care.